this week's parsha is Parshas Nayach, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu instructs Nayach to build that teva, one of the instructions was that Tsayar Ta'asala Teva, you should make a skylight. Tsayar is a lashon of uh, to shine, a place that will illuminate the teva. And the simple taich in that is that the teva was a dark, big uh, area that needed illumination, and so there was going to be a skylight there that would bring uh, some light into the inside of this dwelling. The Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh, he has a uh, homiletic interpretation of this Pasuk of these words, Tsayar Tasala Teva. He says that the word Teva means an ark in the context of Parshas Nayach, but we also know that the word Teva means a word. Uh, if you want to use uh, you know, the Hebrew word for a word, it would be either Mila or Teva. Teva is also a way of saying a, a word. And the Baal Shem sees in this instruction to Nayach of Tsayar Tasala Teva, and I'll quote him, that the word that a person utters, be it a word of Taira, be it a word of Tfilah, Matzir, it should be bright, it should shine, it should be illuminated. And what he means, of course, is that very often what we do in life when we're learning and we're davening is that we do it, we davened, everybody could honestly say that they davened this morning, but were the words that we were saying bright? Were they illuminated? Did they shine? Or were they really dull? If you were having the conversation with somebody else that you were having with Hashem this morning, what type of conversation would that be? Would that be a riveting conversation? Would it be a, a, an animated conversation? Or would it be like really, really boring? We were davening. We said the davening. But did we have kavana in the words? Did we get excited about any part of davening? Did we feel inspired? Or were we just doing it to do it? When we're learning Gemara, when we're learning Chumash, when we're learning uh, Musar, are we just doing it and we're going through the motions and we're talking the talk? Or are we actually walking the walk? Are we really feeling it? Are we understanding it to the deepest levels of understanding? Are we having the proper uh, kavana? Are we being inspired by what we're learning, what we're hearing, what we're doing? And the Baal Shem is, is telling us that the instruction that was given to Nayach, that Sayar Tasala Teva, when you're having your Teva, make sure that it's bright, is really an instruction to each and every one of us that when we are uttering our Tevas, when we are making, building our own words in life, the words that we are uttering in davening, the words that we're uttering in, in our learning, the words that we're uttering when we're trying to have conversation with, with our friends, with our family, 
they shouldn't be boring, they shouldn't be dull, they shouldn't be just to do it, but they should be shining, they should be animated, they should be bright. I think it's a, a Baal Shem Lashitasa. there's a, a, a story that's told about the Baal Shem that I think it's that if you, if you go 30 days, there's a skula of not speaking Devarim Betalim for 30 days. Don't like, uh, if a person would be able to get through a 30-day period without saying anything extra, no Devarim Betalim, then a certain skula would happen, whatever it is, a Shidduch or a, you know, Parnassa, whatever it was that was the, uh, that, you know, that, that they were talking about in those days, the Baal Shem told them supposedly that don't speak Devarim Betalim for 30 days and, and you'll get what you're asking. So a person comes back 30 days later and says, okay, Rabbi did it, and what I needed didn't happen yet. So he said, well, you davened the past 30 days, I assume, right? He said, uh, yeah, of course. He says, but were the words of your davening in any way devarim betalim? Meaning, when you spoke Takadosh Baruch was that real davening? Was it really... Uh, was it a tsayar tasala teva davening? Did you brighten up the words? Were you having kavana? Was it a gishmaka davening? Or was it just like, just like wasting words? Because you're not thinking about what you're saying at all. I always think about, like, you know, you see people that have these apps with, uh, you know, with, uh, with davening on it. And, you know, imagine if you could develop an app like this Baal Shem Zvart, and like, you know, as you're davening, the words that you're really, you know, excited about, they would, they would light up. Like, how many of our words would be lit up? How many of our words would really be at tzaya, would be matzir, would be able to be so bright that it actually moves the needle on the app that, okay, I got that word into davening. Did we go through a davening once this today or this week or this month or I think Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur we could probably say that we did on Yom Kippur but how much of our davening is really legitimately matzir is it shining, how much of our learning is shining, do we get into that rut and, and are we living our life by rote that we're doing it but we're not really feeling it and this is the caution that the Baal Shem Tev is telling us that the teva, the, the words that we're speaking have to be illuminating. And if they're not, then we have a problem. Then spiritually, we're, we're, we're dull. And we have to sharpen ourselves. We have to illuminate ourselves. Now, why was it, do you think, that this vart of the Baal Shem, which is, which is emes, why was it, why did it make its appearance dafka by nayach? Whenever you see a vart like this, you have to like wonder about the context. Like why it could have already been Miramis to this elsewhere. Okay, granted the word Teva appears by Nayak, but why not Kadishbarhu send us this message? Dafka and Parshas Nayach, there must be a, a reason that it was delivered to us in the package of this week's parsha. And I think that the answer might be that there's a Pasuk in Mishle. Paragud Bay's Pasagud Gimel, it says, Bipesha Svasayim Maikesh Ra. 
What that means is that because of the transgression of the lips, there is an evil snare. When a person doesn't speak properly, when a person doesn't use his mouth in a way that's appropriate, so then there's an evil snare. Something is going to happen to that person that's really, really bad if you're not careful about what you're saying. But the righteous, tzaddikim, come out of trouble. Okay? That's the possibility. With the sins of your lips, there's going to be a bad trap awaiting a person that doesn't speak properly. But a tzaddik is going to get out of tzaris by being careful with his lips. What's that talking about? So if you look in the Rashi on that, on that Pasuk, he says as follows. Because of the sins of the Darhamabal, the sins of the lips of the Darhamabal, they said that what is this God that I should worship him, I should serve him, meaning they used their lips for kfira. Terrible stuff happened to the Darmabal. They all drowned in the flood, in the Mabal. The Nayach had Sadik, but Nayach was the righteous one of the Dar. He left, he was able to escape the Tsara. The whole Dar was destined to die in the Mabal because of the Pesha Svasayim, because they uttered words that were inappropriate. Nayach was very careful with his words. And since he was so careful with his words, that saved him from the Mabal. That's what Rashi says on this Pasuk. And so I think that maybe that's why this message is seen in the context of Nayak and the Mabal. Sayar Tasalateva. Your words, when you're speaking, you have to be so careful with your speech when you're learning, when you're davening, but in general, whatever you're saying in life, you have to be so, so careful to make sure that what you're uttering is appropriate, it's proper, it's necessary, because if you are not careful, the mabel happens to such a person. A person is engulfed in turmoil his entire life because he's not careful about what he's using his mouth to say. A mouth is such a, it's such a vital and such an important and such a lethal tool, if not careful, if not used carefully. But if a person is a tzaddik, if a person's a nayach, a person uh, is careful, then the teva, the words that he uses, is actually the teva, the escape that he has from tzaras. The teva was the vehicle that HaKadosh Baruch Hu told nayach to take in order to get out of the mabel. And the words that we use are also, according to this Rashi in Mishlei, if we're properly using our words, davening, learning, and speaking stam, then we have a teva, we have an escape from the tsaris that the rest of the world is, is, is having trouble with. The whole world's tsaris is stemming from the things that they say, the things that they're, that they're uttering. The Nivel Peh and the Sheker and the Lashon Hara and the Rechilos and the Sicha Betela, all of the things that we're speaking about with our mouths is a Mabal that's going to drown us. But if a person's careful with their Teva and they're using, they're using their Teva to be Matsir, to light up the world, 
with positivity, with goodness, that is the way that they will escape the tsaris that the rest of the world is in. And we just learned in, uh, in Psachim, right? the yeshiva is learning Psachim, and Daf Gimel, we have the whole sugya that you've all, all learned about the way Chazal tell us that we have to speak the Lashem Nikiah. When we're speaking, we have to speak in a way that's so pure and so clear and succinct and not in any way uh, stretch out our words and not use our words for negativity. And the Gemara, fascinatingly, brings a raya from our parsha. A person should never say something that's uh, inappropriate, something that's ugly with their mouth. We know the Torah counts letters. Every letter is important in the Torah. The Torah goes and adds a, an extra eight letters, which is like an unthinkable thing for the Torah to do. The Torah always tries to be makatzer. The Torah always tries to speak as succinctly as possible, as tersely as possible. But yet the Torah in this week's parsha says an additional eight letters. Rather than having anything bad come out of the Torah's mouth, as it were, the Torah seems, sees that it's necessary to add an extra eight letters. What was that? Because the Pasuk says, you should bring pure animals onto the boat, and also animals that are not Torah. Notice that the Torah does not describe, characterize the animals as Tameh, but rather as Asher'inenotayra, they're not tar. Eight extra letters. What do we see from there? That the Torah is teaching us Musr in our parsha, and it's not coincidental. This is the parsha that we learn the importance of speaking properly. Because Nayach spoke properly, he was saved from the Teva. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that Nayach spoke properly and was saved from the Teva, he chose this parsha to teach you how you have to speak properly. You have to make sure that when you're speaking, instead of saying that somebody is, that an animal is Tameh, and we're talking about an animal for crying out loud, and yet the Torah is saying, don't use the word Tameh. Obviously later in the Torah, it will use a lashon of Tameh, but at least the first uh, introduction that we have to describing an animal as not being pure is say it's not pure, but don't say it's Tameh. Tameh is like a nada, it's a davar maguna. And that's how we apply it to our life. Instead of saying things in our life that, you know, somebody, uh, you know, let's say if you have to tell somebody, and that's also in the Gemara, you say somebody uh, died. You don't say that somebody died. You, know, somebody, uh, you don't say somebody died. You say that somebody, unfortunately, the person is no longer alive. You try to use a, a way that's a cleaner, nicer way of saying something. You don't want to say things in an ugly manner. And if we're able to filter our words through a million filters, before it comes out of our mouth, we will save ourselves from tremendous mabel. How many times have we said things that, are, that we regret so much that we said, why did we say that? Why did I have to hurt that person? If I would have only stopped and thought about it before I said it, I would never have said it. I also found it interesting that we never really see Nayach talking in this parasha. There's one, in one place, after the mabel was over, and he's speaking, he gets upset at, at his son, at, at Canaan, for, uh, you know, for looking at him when he was unclothed. So because of that, 
you know, we, uh, uh, he says a curse, or Kanan, Eved, but, but before that one Pasuk or two Pesukim that we find Nayach talking, Nayach was like, it was like a silent movie. The whole parasha's Nayach, there was not a single utterance of Nayach. You'd think that Nayach would say something to his wife, say something to Hashem, say something to his son, say something on the Teva, speak to the animals, something. You'd think that Nayach would have a speaking role. He doesn't have a single line to say, you know, it's the best part to play. If, you're, if you want to get a, you know, an acting part, Nayach is the, you don't want to be Avram Avinu. Avram is talking all the time. Yitzchak doesn't talk that much. Yaakov talks a lot. You know, Adam spoke a little, but Nayach doesn't talk at all. He, cannot, he has one, one or two lines in the whole parsha. He doesn't say a word. It's interesting, right? You'd think Parsha's Nayach, he would speak. <laughs> the parsha's named after him. Let's hear you talk. What are you saying, Nayach? Tell us something. Now, in Chazal, we find that he does say things. He speaks to the people as he's building the Teva. They ask him, what are you building? And he says back what he's building. But in the Torah, not a single utterance until after the Mabal. He doesn't say a word. So, what I was thinking is that the Torah is telling us, this Yisait, again, that Nayach was so careful with his speech he didn't speak. He spoke when it was absolutely necessary to speak. But until then, he, the, the default position of Nayak's mouth was off. It was off. If I have to say something, I will, but otherwise I won't. And that's a very big chiddish, because most people, it's the opposite. The default position of, people, of, of many people's mouths is just keep talking and talking and talking until, until you, know, you get too tired and you stop talking. And the damage that's done because our default is just to talk and to shoot our mouth off without thinking is that we get ourselves into such hot water, into such a mabel, so many times because we talk and we talked and we talked and then the damage is done. Once the words come out of our mouth, it's too late. We can't take them back. We have to apologize a million times. And even then, it's never fully the same, the relationship, because we have always spoken and spoken. Nayach teaches us don't talk. Be silent. Everyone in the world is talking and look what happens to them. But a tzaddik doesn't. A tzaddik doesn't talk. Nayach didn't talk in the parasha. Because he's teaching us a lesson. The Torah is teaching us a lesson. Only speak if you're going to be illuminating. If your words are going to be valuable and you know for sure that what you're going to say is going to have a tayelis and it's going to be couched in the right way and the person's going to be receptive to it, then you can maybe start thinking about talking. But the default position should be, I'm not talking. I'm not talking unless I absolutely know that my talking is going to be a tayelis. And if you live your life that way, then you're going to be saved and spared from so much trouble in your life. Yeah, as a reference for many, many Talmidim's shidduch resumes, I get calls all of them. Most of the calls are, of course, during supper time. Um, but get calls literally day and night, literally, from Arab Shabbos, five minutes for, before Shabbos is starting, like I'm coming out of the shower, my wife has a million errands that I have to, you know, chores that I have to still do, I didn't do, and like, the phone is ringing, hi Rabbi Bamberger, yes, um, I hope it's not a bad time, but can you tell me about Chaim Shmel, just tell me a little bit about my, 
I said, it's four minutes before Shabbos. Shkia is like, my, the sun is setting. I should be in yeshiva already. But like, could you call me back? Uh, uh, okay, thank you. You know, I'll call you back. You know, like, but I'm a, I'm a, you know, a reference Baruch Hashem for many, many people, and I'm happy to do it. Um, but a lot of times, one of the questions that's asked of me is, is he a quiet boy? Is he quiet? As if, like, that's a pejorative. As if, like, the, you know, you don't want your son-in-law to be a quiet guy. You want him to be, like, a big blabbermouth. Like, that would be a good, that's a good shit up for your daughter. I said, are you asking me, is he quiet as, like, you don't want him to be quiet? Well, yeah, you know, I want him to be, like, a, you know, talkative and loud. And I said, like, I understand what you're saying. I said, and obviously, you know, if a person is too quiet, it might be a little bit of a, you know, problem in and of itself, but personally, you know, I think that a quiet person is a great person. I don't think that is a negative at all. I would much rather, you know, if I were you, to have a son-in-law that's quiet and thoughtful and sensitive and, 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 and you know, and, and proper than a person that just constantly talks and talks and talks. And I want to explain a little bit the myla of silence, the myla of being a more quiet. Again, I'm not advocating being a hermit, a social hermit. I'm not advocating a person that just sits like and doesn't talk and has a tiny keyboard day and night. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about a normal person that has social skills and is normal, has friends, has you know good relationships, but is always like closer to the on the silent part of the spectrum than, than the talkative part of the spectrum. Let me tell a few milas, kama milas taivas, you know, it is to have silence in one's life. First of all, silence is life itself. My father, Elav Shalom, used to always say this, but I didn't know if he was just saying it like as a, you know, as, as like a, you know, an old wives' tale type of thing, or if, he, if there was a Makar in Chazal. But he used to always say that, you know, you have a certain amount of words in life to speak, and after that, you know, you die. And so you have to be very, very careful, be very selective of the words that you're saying and how many they are, and, and count them carefully, because... You know, once you use them up, you're dead. That's, I'm, I'm sure many of you have heard that said, but is there a maramakim for that? Is there a, a source for that in Chazal at all or in, in, in the Svarim Akadashim? So, Reb Chaim Kanievsky has a great sefer called Archas Yesher. It's a, a, a wonderful Musar sefer. And he has it broken down into topics by Aleph Beis. So if you get up to Shin, he has a, he has a, a chapter called Shtika, which is silence. And he brings Kedarka, all of the Marmakaimis came out of, you know, the, 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 the amazing Chazalan about being silent, being quiet. And there he quotes from the Sefer Chasidim in Simen Kuf Samach Beis. The Sefer Chasidim says as follows, when a person is being considered upstairs to be created, when Hashem is like debating should he be created or not, and it's decided that he will be created, amazing. There's a gezer on him how many 
times, how many shmuzin is he going to have? How many times is he going to shmuz with people? How many words is he going to utter in his life? There is an exact count. When a person is born, there is an exact count of how many words he will utter in his life. I don't think, you know, davening and learning is included in that. I doubt that that would make sense. But it's talking about Tristam, the schmoozing that a person does, chutz from the davening and learning and chesed. But the, the time, the, how much are you talking? How much talk are you going to be allotted in this life? If he talks too much, you have to be very concerned that maybe you're using up your precious words. Which means that it's not so much the years that you're allotted. Maybe Hakadosh Baruch doesn't even have a gezeira that you're going to live to a certain amount of years. Maybe it's the it's the amount of words that you're given in life. And so a person that's very very careful to count his words will have a longer life. And it's not going to be just a longer life in terms of the actual years, but the the quality of your life will be longer. You'll have a beautiful life because you're so careful about what you're saying, about what you're, what, you're, what you're conversing with people about. Your thoughtfulness and your goodness and your kindness, the words that sayar, the matzir, will be so much nicer, so much more beautiful. So silence is really life. The quieter you are, every time that you have the opportunity to speak and you don't, you're in fact putting more life into your bank account. You're giving yourself more opportunity to live. Silence is safe. When a person is quiet, he's living a safe life. We like being safe. People like investing in safe investments. People you know, are very careful that their car is, uh, is safe and that they're, uh, you know, and that they're healthy, and they're exercising, and they're eating safely, and that everything is, you're, we're concerned for safety. When a person is quiet, and again, I want to keep on reiterating, I don't mean that you're walking around, you're, you're to, not talking to, to anyone. That's not the message here. But the message is to be closer to the side of being a, on the quieter side than of being on the talkative side. When a person is silent, when the person is opting for being more on the quiet side, he's going to be much safer in life. The Chazanish, which is also brought in that same chapter in Archaz Yesher, Chazanish was, of course, the uncle of Reb Chaim Kanievsky, so he quotes there from his uncle a beautiful quote. I don't think I've had the opportunity to, to bring it down in any of my books yet, but I want to. Four words. Al hashtika ein mischaratin. You don't have regret when you're quiet. What does that mean? So many times, let's say you're invited out for uh, for a meal on Shabbos, and you know, and the meal starts digressing into, let's say, a conversation about a certain person, and you have a great line to say. You have a maybe a juicy tidbit of lashon hara to say about that person, or a, a joke about that person, or a shtach about that person. Whether the person is in the room or is not in the room, it doesn't really matter. And let's say you don't say it. Let's say, you know, you, eh, I, don't, I don't think it's, I don't want to say it. You never walk out after you bench from that meal. You never walk out and say, 
shoot, I really wish I had said that. Why didn't I say that? You never think that. You're always like sort of happy that you opted for not saying it. When do you have charata? If you did say it. You ever get that feeling like, you feel like dirty, like why did I say that? Why did I, it was so beneath me to say that line. Like, I, okay, I got a laugh. At, you know, people, you know, thought that I was like cool for saying it, but like, why did I say that? Like, man, like, Laman Hashem, like, why would, I, why would I lower myself, cheapen myself to say that? And the charata is so great, or it should be so great, when we use our mouth inappropriately, when we say things that are ugly. But when a person holds back, and you're quiet, and you never, ever regret what you didn't say. You always regret what you did say. So whenever you have an opportunity and you're faced with this choice in life, should I say it or should I not say it? Just remember these four words of the Chazanish. You will never regret not saying it. Yeah, obviously, you know, it would have been cool to say it. You get a little bit of a kick out of it. You get, you know, you become popular a little bit for those three minutes until people look at you as a Masapra Lashonara for the rest of your life. But there's a, there is a charge to it. You feel like a little empowered when you say a, a good line or you have a little piece of Lashonara or an information that you're adding to the mix. But you have charata afterwards. But you will never have charata if you're able to be miscabra over yourself and not say it. You don't have charata with shtika. Silence is safe. You're so much safer when you don't say something. Silence is scholarly. What does that mean? Scholarly? Scholarly is when you're talking, right? You're you're a big, you're, you're, you're bright. If you're speaking, you're showing how smart you are. Not really. There's, a, there's a, a good line. I don't think it's a Jewish line. Maybe it is. But that it's better to be quiet and let people think that you're not smart than say something and let people know that you're not smart. Sometimes when you speak, you're really revealing a lot more about your, uh, your intelligence than when you're not speaking. It's true. People might think you're not so smart if you're not speaking so much. But when you open up your mouth and you talk... That's revealing everything about you. You could judge a person by their vocabulary, how smart they are. You could judge a person by what they're speaking about, the way that they're speaking, their tone of voice, and their, uh, their choice of, uh, uh, of, of words to say. And, and, and everything, when you're speaking, is revealed. Everybody knows how smart you are when you start talking. But when you don't talk, people think that you're smart in a way because they you know it's it's not clear what you know it's not clear and there's a misa that said about the um the base halevi was walking once with a pre-yitzchak with uh rabitzla blazer bitzla petterberg one of the great bali musa one of the great talmidim of, of rabitzla salanter and rabitzla was besides for being a, a tremendous Balmusser, he was also a tremendous Talmud Chacham. And he wrote a, a classic sefer on, on, on Lamdas called the Pri Yitzchak. And the Beis Halevi was taking him with him. They were walking somewhere and they were going to meet with big Talmud Chachamim and, and he invited him to come with him. And during the course of the conversation, a, a certain topic came up and uh, 
and the Beis Halevi asked the question, and everybody was trying to discuss it, and the Priyitzchak was just sitting there silent, the Ritzel Blazer. And everybody, and the Beis Halevi was like surprised, like, you know, why didn't he contribute anything to the conversation? And, you know, maybe he's not as smart as we think he is. Maybe we, you know, maybe he's not a big Atam And the Beis Halevi himself gave two answers to the question that he posed. Other people gave other answers. And they came back, you know, the Beis Halevi came back home alone and you know, he was wondering about the pre-Yitzchak, like, what's, why wasn't he contributing? And then he looked up, he opened, he, ha- he happened to have a, had a, con- uh, a copy of a pre-Yitzchak in his house, and he looked up if he speaks about this sugya at all, and sure enough, the pre-Yitzchak has this question in the Sefer, and he has two answers, the same two answers that Beis Halevi himself gave at that conversation. And he realized that as bright, as brilliant as the pre-Yitzchak was, he didn't want to like show his wisdom. He didn't want to. He didn't want to to show off. I think I saw a version once of the story that the Beis actually confronted the 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 pre Yitzchak and said like, "Why didn't you say anything? I saw that you were mechaving to both of my my brilliant answers. Why didn't you Why didn't you tell us that?" And I think he said like, "Am I a chassan by his afruf that he needs to like show off? He needs to say shtikol taira in front of the crowd to you know to show his future father in law how bright he is." Not a chassan. I don't have to show off. I, I am who I am. Whoever I am, I am. I don't need to, to brag. Sometimes the greatest scholarship is when you're silent. You don't have to always show off that you know a pshat and you, and you, and you could be mechaven, you could like steal somebody else's thunder. Let other people talk. Obviously, it's nice if you talk in learning also. It's a beautiful thing. And if somebody asks you to say Advar Taira, to say Advar Taira. But... You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. Nobody likes the smartest guy in the room. Sometimes it's, it's appropriate, it's good to, to just let other people shine. Let other people shine. So many times, I was just talking to somebody this week about how, you know, chesed, and I think we've spoken about this maybe this year or maybe last year, sometimes it's a chesed to let other people talk. You know, how many times did somebody come over to you and they want to tell you a, a joke? And you start, like, you hop the punchline already, like, right out of his mouth. Or, he, or you say, did you, did you hear the story about uh, the Chavetz Chaim that he went to the... Yeah, 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 and he threw the other glove out of the train, you know. Like, let the guy say the story. Like, why do you have to, like, steal his thunder? It's a chesed sometimes to let a person tell a story, to tell a joke, to tell a vart... You don't have to always like say, I heard that one already. Come on, that's an all. Give me, give me one. Tell me something I don't know. It's not nice. It's not a chesed. Chesed means like let a person tell a joke and laugh at that joke. Let a person tell a story and say, wow, that's a beautiful story. Let a person say a dvar and let him finish the dvar You don't have to always like chap it out from my like. You don't have to always like, like beat him to it. Like what are you proving by doing that? Silence is scholarly. Sometimes it's so much more beautiful to be quiet in life. That's so much more of a chachma than to speak. I have a picture in one of my books. It's in Great Jewish Photographs. It's a, it's a delicious picture. It's a picture of the... Um, it's the Kapishnitzer Rebbe. Kabeshnitzer Rebbe was from the Rizhner line of Hasidus. The Rizhner was, um, you know, one of the, the most regal personalities in Jewish history. He lived, he was a Rebbe, and he lived like a king. He lived like, like royalty. 
opulence. He, he lived in, if you see pictures, he, had, he lived in a palace and he wore like golden, like begadim, and he had golden boots. And his, his table, his Shabbos table, had golden kalim on it. He lived like the king so much so that the Tsar of Russia looked at him like a threat. And he had him driven out of, out of Russia, out of his country, because uh, you know, he, he was threatened by the, the royalty, the royal treatment that this rabbi was being given. If you can imagine the czar of Russia, who was like literally living Brumish and being threatened by a, a rabbi, it's unheard of. But that's how opulently he lived. That was, that's it. They didn't live, obviously, opulently because they wanted to, uh, you know, to self-aggrandize themselves, the, the rabbis of Rizhin. But they were doing it because they felt that the chasidus, that the rabbi should be like a king. It's a malchus. And they wanted to present themselves as, as royalty, which they were in a spiritual level. There's a great story that you have to tell when you're speaking about the Rizhner, that one time by Kiddush Lovana, you know, it was an icy cold night in, in Rizhen, and, and uh, all the Hasidim came out with the Rebbe to say Kiddush Lovana, and then after they all went back into, in, indoors, one of the Hasidim noticed that the spot that the Rebbe was standing on, on the snow, on the ice, was red. It was blood on the ice. And they couldn't figure out what, what, what's this red from until they realized that the Rebbe, even though he had golden boots, but he didn't have soles on the bottom of the boots. And, he, and it was so cold that the, that the skin of his feet were cracking in the, in the ice and they were bleeding. Why didn't he have soles on the bottom of his, of his feet? Because on his shoes, because he wanted to be able to, at one on one hand, show the the royalty that he was superficially, but at the same time to be able to relate to his chassid. Many of them were poor, so he didn't have soles on the bottom of his feet. So he had golden boots without soles. That's what a Rebbe is. A Rebbe is somebody that, yeah, I'm, I'm, wear, I'm dressing like a king, but, but I'm, a, I'm one of you. I'm still, a, I'm still a Yid. I'm still regular. I still have a heart of gold. But the way that the Rizhner dynasty, including, including the, uh, in, including the, uh, the, the Sadiger Rebbe, in, I'm sorry, including the... Uh, I'm, sure, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it was a Sadiger Rebbe or it was, I think it was a Sadiger Rebbe, excuse me, I said before the Kapitans Rebbe, I believe it's a Sadiger Rebbe. The Sadiger Rebbe, who lived in Tel Aviv at the end of his life, uh, so you see a picture of his Tish, and he, this was following the Rizhner dynasty, it already came from the Rizhner. The Tish, what, what, what do you normally, if you ever were at a, a Hasidish Tish, so there's, uh, you know, there's a Hasidim, and they're singing Nigunim, and they stop, and what happens? The Rebbe then says, Taira. And a lot of the, 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 the Hasidic Shisvarim that we have are from the Titian, like the Sfasemis. So all the, it says the years that, you know, he spoke at this Shabbos and this Shalashudis and this, right, this Yantif. That's when you get all the tire from the Rebbes. In the original dynasty, they were quiet. The Rebbe just sat silently and the Hasidim were like, and you have a picture in my book of like one of the, you know, the, the Sadiger Rebbe, he, by the Tish, he was sitting like this, deep in thought, and the Hasidim, you see them like straining their ears to hear the silence. In fact, there was a, a non-Jewish 
custodian in the Rizhna Rebbe's base medrash, and years later, after he retired, and the Rebbe was long gone, so the, uh, like, some Yidden, like, tried to, like, you know, like, get the scoop from the, this, uh, this, this non-Jewish uh, custodian, like, tell us what you saw by the Rebbe. And he said, okay, this is what I saw. He said, I saw the Rebbe sitting in utter silence, and, the, and all of his chassidim around him were straining their ears to understand his silence. Silence is scholarly. There's, a, there's chachma in silence also. Sometimes what a person doesn't say is more revealing than what a person does say. Sometimes what a person doesn't hear is more powerful than what a person does hear. That's why they say there are gaps in the az yashir. In the shira, you have words, and then you have big gaps, big, like, wide, empty, blank spaces. It's a reach agabe levena. It's supposed to look like, a, like brickwork. But the svarim, the machshava svarim, say that, that as much as you gain from a song, from the words of a song, or from the tune of the song, sometimes when there's no words, it's much more powerful. You know, sometimes, like, you have a, a, like a, a a song with like a contemporary song with like a, a beat, right? Dun, dun, dun. Then all of a sudden, like there's silence for a second, right? What does that do? It pumps up the song so much more. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's like a song and then it stops and then it goes boom. And then like, but the silence is much more powerful than the music. That's the way it is in life. A person's silence is so much more powerful than, than a person's words. Silence is productive. The main productivity that a person has is when a person is able to have some silence in his life. A person keeps talking and talking and around people, talking and talking. There's no productivity. It's all like a lot of wasted time. When a person's able to have a moment of silence, he could think, he could be productive, he could be creative. There's a great story that's told about a farmer. A farmer was looking for his precious watch. He lost his watch. So he, there's a lot of kids in the farm and, uh, or in the neighborhood, and he says, kids, whoever finds my watch, I'm going to give you $100. And this was like a big yuntif. All of a sudden, the kids were like running around screaming and looking and, you know, in the haystack and in the here and the barn and the, and, the, and the stables. And they were looking all over for the watch and, you know, and everyone was like in a, trying to find the watch. And the day was setting, the day was over, and the farmer says, all right, okay, guys, everybody go home. Go home, you can't find it. So all the kids went home. There was one kid, one smart kid, he says, could I stay a few more minutes? Farmer says, yeah, but why do you think you're going to find the whole day? We had you know, dozens of kids, no one was able to find them. Why do you think you're... So just give me, a, give me a chance. He goes into the barn. It's quiet. First moment of the day, the whole barn is quiet. And he just listens. And he hears a ticking. And he follows the ticking to the certain place, and he found the watch. That's a great Musa Haskell, because you can only hear the ticking of, of life in silence. When there's talking and there's tumult and there's bahala, then you can't think, you can't like make a cheshbon nefesh ever. 
But when you're able to stop and, and move into a place that's quiet and, and have quiet space in your brain, you're able to make decisions well, you're able to think well, you're able to make a cheshman well, you're able to make a, you know, figure out a plan or study or whatever it is that you need to do in life. That's like his spidedus, when Hasidim are into going out into the wilderness and, and thinking and communing with, with the Rabbi Shalom. You can't do that sometimes in the city. You can't do that with a million people buzzing about. Silence is, is, is golden. Silence gives you room to breathe and to think and to, and to grow. And finally, silence is powerful. Silence is powerful. They say a, a beautiful story about the vision of Sarebbe. The vision of Sarebbe, about a hundred years ago, Rabbi Yisrael Hager, every day he would go out for a walk for a half an hour. And he was accompanied by one of his shamashim, one of his attendants. And one day he was taking this half hour walk and he goes up to the house. He starts climbing the stairs of a certain wealthy Jew's house. This Jew was not a, a religious man. He was the manager of a local bank. Did very well for himself, but he was a masculine. He was, uh, he was in the Enlightenment movement. He wasn't really, uh, he wasn't, you know, much for, uh, for, for Judaism, let alone Hasidus, but he understood that the Rebbe is a very important person. And he opened the door and he sees the, the, the holy vision of the Rebbe at his door, so he couldn't believe like, that the Rebbe would come to his house of all people. And he invites him in, he serves him a drink and whatever. And, and he asks like, the attendant on the way, like, why is the Rebbe in my house? Like, I'm, I'm a masculine. Like, I'm not a person that he would you know, go into a person. He says, I have no idea. I'm just following him. I'm the Shamashir. I just, I, I'm, I'm along for the ride. I have no idea. So they're sitting at the table and the Rebbe is just sitting there quiet. So, you know, anyway, and then after like 10 minutes of silence, 20 minutes of silence, the rabbi gets up, you know, wishes this guy a, a nice day, and he starts running, he starts leaving the house and walking back to his house. Very strange. So finally, this, this banker catches up to the rabbi. He says, Rebbe, when you were in my house, it wasn't polite to ask you what you were doing there, but now that we're closer to your house, I could ask you, like, what, did the rabbi want something from me? He says, yeah, I wanted to do a mitzvah. He says, which mitzvah did you want to do exactly? So he says, well, the sages say, Chazal says, that, that the same way that there's a mitzvah to say something that will be heard, that will be accepted, there's also a mitzvah to not say something that will not be accepted. Keshem she mitzvah nishma, I wanted to do a mitzvah, that Chazal said it's a mitzvah, not to say something that won't be accepted. He says, well, how do you know that it won't be accepted? He says, I know. He says, well, can you tell me what it is? He says, no, then I'd lose my mitzvah. I can't tell you. That's, my mitzvah is not to tell you. So after like twisting his arm figuratively for a, for a while, finally the says, fine, I'll tell you. He says, an, an old uh, an almana came to me yesterday, in the, uh, you know, and, and she said that, that she owes the bank a lot of money, your bank, and that you keep threatening her with uh, foreclosure letters, and she's going to lose her house, and she's, she's going to be thrown out on the street, her and her, her orphan children. 
and she has no idea what to do. She can't raise the money, and you keep pressuring her. And she asked me if I would go to you, and you know, and because you're Jewish, maybe I can impress on you the importance of uh, of somehow alleviating that stress, and and maybe doing something with a loan, taking care of the loan. So he says, Rabbi, I can't do. I'm, I don't own the bank. I just I'm a manager in the bank. I, I can't do anything. He says. I knew you wouldn't be able to do I knew you would say that. That's why I didn't want to tell you anything. And the Rebbe just goes into his house. And sure enough, this banker like has his iris of tshuva, and he figures out a way to... He, he personally took care of the loan, and he, and he washed away the, the Almana's loan. And it's a beautiful story, but it really speaks to the power of silence. So many times, if you, what you don't say, what you don't say is so much more... But let's say the Rebbe would have come into his house and said, I had an Amana, she came to me and she wants you to do the X, Y, and Z. He's like, no, I'm, it's, not my, it's, not, it's, not, it's not my bank, you know, you're not, it's not my department, can't take care of it, I'm sorry, and that's it. Sometimes when you don't say something, it's so much more powerful, it's so loud, the silence... Sometimes the silence is deafening. And that's the beauty of, of making sure that whatever you say in life, like Nayak was careful not to speak because he understood that if he speaks, he's probably going to get into the mabel also. The way to avoid a mabel in life, all the tsars that people have, 95% of tsars is because you said something that you shouldn't. You'll see when you get married in Mirza Hashem, so many times you you know you were you said something, and you know and, and you were and your wife starts crying. You know why? I, I've been saying these types of things to my roommate and my chavrusa for years. I've been stuching them. I've been saying great barbs and great zingers and great lines. And they were everyone was always happy with me. Suddenly I get married and my wife gets you know is crying every single word I say. What happened? What happened is that you realize when you're married that. You know, it wasn't so cool when you were shtachin your roommate either. Just they had to live with you. Your wife doesn't have to live with you. Your wife doesn't, as she does, but she really, but she could be honest with you. She's the first person in your life. Your mother rarely will say the truth to you. Your father will rarely, but your wife could say the truth to you. And she, she's not embarrassed to say the truth. She's, you know, and she'll tell you straight up, you can't say that. That's insensitive. It's hurtful that you said that to me. It's hurtful that you didn't understand that by saying that I would think of this or that. And then you learn at that point the power of silence. Why did I say that? If I only wouldn't have said that, I would have had a beautiful Shabbos. I would have been able to go to sleep tonight. I would have been able to... Instead, I said those words and now like the whole, it's a whole fight and it's a whole ruined Shabbos, a whole ruined Yanta, a whole ruined Suda. For what? Why did I do that? And you have such charata. But if you learn now already in yeshiva the art of being silent, it's amazing. How many stories do we read about like people, this isn't like a, a talking thing, but it's a communication thing. You know, you send a, uh, an email by accident. You can look up online. Like, there are, like people like by accident send uh, an email and instead of sending like anti the boss, and instead of sending it to your coworker, you by accident for some reason you send it to your boss. Your boss got it. I did this once in my life. You know, I, I 
I didn't realize that reply to all, what that really meant. I, thought, I just thought it was like the same as reply. I didn't cop what reply to all is on an email. So I just hit, the, instead of reply, I said reply to all. I thought, you know, I thought like, you know, whatever. I didn't cop what it was. I didn't realize that when you reply to all, it's replying to everybody else that got the email, that was CC'd on the email. So it was a letter from Turo that I got, whatever it was about. It was a, it was a silly email. But I replied, I said a cute line back, but I, I thought I was saying it, sending it just to the person that sent me the email. Instead, I sent it to 50 people, and like, people were like, calling, like what, why'd you say that? What do you mean? What, like, it, was, it became like an international incident. Like, but, and it wasn't anything crazy. I mean, I could tell you what it was. It was stupid, but it was just like, but you see that you have to be so careful before you return an email, before you return a text, before you, you, know, you send something, you do something, everything that you do, be careful. Be careful, and the most important thing to be careful about is your words. You will alleviate so much saras, like nayach, like the Pasuk says by nayach, v'yetze mitzaret tzadik, a tzadik by being careful with his words, with the svasayim, with what comes out of your mouth. If you're careful, you'll have an amazing life. You'll be saved from the mabel every day of your life. You have to be normal. You have to be healthy. You have to speak. You have to schmooze. You have to go to the room and talk to your friends and come home on Shabbos and talk to your family and talk to your Rebbe and talk to your wife. and talk. We're not talking. This isn't a, a lesson in being a hermit and being a monk you know, in, some, uh, you know, in the Himalaya mountains. The Chavetz Chaim, as much as he was careful with Shmir Salashim, they say he was a great schmoozer. He talked to people about stories of tzaddikim and he talked to people about what's going on in the world and he gave Musa. And he, he wasn't a silent person. You could be silent and at the same time, you could, be, you could be talkative and at the same time be a silent person, be a quiet person. That's the art of, of life. And if a person's able to understand that you should only use your words for Torah, for Tefillah, for Kedusha, for Chesed, for being good, you will have the most amazing life. You will be Nayach coming out of the table like a million bucks, saved, pure, but if you're a person that is using their words indelicately and wrongly and inappropriately in a way that's not worthy of a ben tira or of a human being for that matter, then the mabel will hit so hard that Rahman you'll have such karata. And this is the lesson of Parshas Nayach. Save yourself from the mabel. Jump on the teva. Make a tzayar for your teva. Make sure that the words that you're speaking have that skylight, that they're always illuminating. They're always positive. They're always a force of positivity in the world. And when you start going to the negative side, when it starts getting dark, and the tzayar all of a sudden shuts, and you realize that, wait a minute, I'm using my words for the dark side, for negativity, for, for pessimism, that's the time they have to realize that we need to really change. We need to, to change the entire uh, way of speaking and of dealing with other people. And Amir Hashem, when we do that, we'll be zeichet to a chayim that's amazing, a beautiful, healthy, happy, productive life. Ken Yiratzin. Have a beautiful Shabbos, everybody.